David Block is a musician and a producer, probably best known under the band names The Human Experience and Gone Gone Beyond, but he's far more beyond all of that. He's a psychonaut, he's a great thinker, and he's a really good friend, so we dropped in together at Arcadia Festival where he was offering his music, his love, and his support, and we had an incredible podcast talking about pretty much everything and nothing all at the same time. I hope you guys enjoy this show with David Block. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Onnit. Now, everybody's heard me talk about Onnit. Why? Because I created Onnit largely as a solution to everything that I've wanted to have available for my own life. So it's just expanding the toolbox of all of the tools that are available. I actually had somebody ask me recently, they're saying, what do you do with all of the different supplements and biohacking techniques and everything that you're aware of? How do you fit it all in? And my explanation was really, look, I've spent the time to get familiar with all of the different tools, all of the different supplements, all of the foods, all of the practices. And I don't do everything every single day. That would be crazy. But I know which tool to apply to which situation to bring out the total human optimization that I'm looking for in that given moment. So that's how I do it. And on it is a huge indelible part of this process for me. And I know it will be for you. So check out everything we have on it.com slash Aubrey for 10% off always. Once again, onnit.com slash Aubrey. Up next, we have Helix Sleep. Now, the first time I got a Helix mattress, I loved it. And we put it in because I wasn't quite sure whether I wanted it on my main bed, we put it up in our guest bed. And all of a sudden, my wife continually wanted to start sleeping in the guest bedroom. She is obsessed with the Helix Sleep mattress, and I've grown to be obsessed with it just as much as she is. And I don't know what magic they put inside the Helix Sleep mattress, but I know that they're using products that are not as toxic to the environment and toxic to you as many of the other mattress manufacturers out there but they really just got this thing dialed and the mattress just arrives at your door. And of course, once it's at your door, the hard work is done. You don't have to go to the store and pick it out and lie on a bunch of mattresses that a bunch of other people have been lying on. These are amazing. And there's a bunch of different levels of firmness. I particularly like their most firm mattress. That's the one for me. And they even have cooling technology that they can add to the mattress as well, which keeps you cool, much like when we were primitive hominids and we were sleeping on the cool ground and then being warmed up by the sun in our blankets this is the way to go if you're interested in a new mattress it's economical it feels great it's better for the environment than a lot of other mattress choices helix sleep is something that i can absolutely endorse and if you ever run into my wife vilana on the street she'll give an even more glowing testimonial for helix mattresses and of course we're not the only ones that believe that helix mattresses are some of the best around helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2021 by gq and wired magazine it's been recommended by chiropractors and doctors and it's been a solution for a lot of people looking for an absolutely great mattress so if you're interested, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners at helixsleep.com slash amp. That's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash amp for $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. 
Oh, and one more thing to mention, they also have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights, risk-free, and they'll pick that thing up if you don't like it. So you really have nothing to lose. helixsleep.com slash amp. And now an uninterrupted podcast with David Block. David Block, my brother. We're here. We're here. Yeah. Arcadia. Arcadia, man. Uh, How fucking cool and crazy it is that this happened. It's one of those situations that just felt like, you know, we said Festival for a More Beautiful World, and then the default world just started kicking my ass, just like to the nuts, to the nuts. I was like one of those Shaolin monks. You ever seen those videos where they just like stand with their legs open and somebody just kicks them in the nuts over and over and like, oh, you will take it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't want to take it. Yeah. So we ended up doing it, but it's uh, now a fully free festival. I'm super curious about that. Don't totally understand how that works. or It's like... As someone who uh, loves to think about giving it all away, yeah, you know, my like Ram Dass is my teacher, and he's like, you know, we're always kind of at this battle. The mind wants to control things mm-hmm. and like, you know, rationalize things and reason with things, and and your heart's like, I'm gonna give it all away. You should just take everything. Yeah, um, and like, because that's what we want. Yeah, like we would love to do that, but there's finitude of resource and things. Yeah, I love that. I, I look forward to that moment where. I can do that. You know, it's, uh, I'm obviously been super blessed with everything mm-hmm. that happened with Onnit. So I'm in totally. a position where I can make a couple moves like this. Mm-hmm. Or just say like, but it was just one of those moments where it was like, I, we made a claim, Festival for a More Beautiful World. And then the way the More Beautiful World wanted to be, it wanted to be built on trust of us just mm-hmm. saying, we're going to throw this thing and we're going to, Fit for Service is all dono- donation based now. So like, you switched the whole thing the whole to thing. no da- donation base? Yeah, the whole thing from now forward, donation base. So we're like, look, hit us up with whatever you feel like it was worth when it's done. You know, we'll open donations after the festival. And if you want to donate, great. Otherwise, just have the fucking best time and allow that vibration to ripple out. And the funny thing is, is despite it being like a massive financial commitment, it's the biggest event we've thrown, you know, and all the changes mm-hmm. and everything. and artists that couldn't play but we still had to pay them and all this whole like the whole business of yeah. music which was yeah. fucking gnarly <laughs> yeah, welcome welcome to <laughs> it was fucking gnarly yeah and but it's been actually one of the easiest decisions to make because it felt like i was deciding with like well god mm-hmm. the divine was like yeah good fucking job yeah and it's been actually like one of the easier things to do despite mm-hmm. it being one of the wilder things to do and it feels really yeah. good. Like I can feel it rippling back from the crowd and like the everybody is like stoked. They're they were are very stoked. I yeah. mean, night one, so good. I yeah. you know it's funny, I from my first record, all my music has been available by donation. You can buy it if you want, but for most of the time, for the last like twelve years or so, I always incur I always really pushed. I'm like, if you want it and you don't feel like you're resourced enough for some reason to pay for it i will never have it be a limiting factor that you had to pay for it to listen to it or you or even you had to listen to a commercial to listen to it so i i put every record up donation zero is the lowest requirement and i've had so many people write to me and and actually they're kind of confused usually yeah they're like we don't understand because usually things that 
that you don't have to pay for don't have value. Right. And unfortunately, people are still right. learning how to wrap their minds around how can someone give something that has quality with that that is free or donation based and like I think that we're still like figuring out how to even understand that and people getting trusted. Like fundamentally this is an act of saying no, we trust you and we've done mm-hmm. this with our yoga studios in Austin and in Texas and there's a couple others around Black Swan Yoga. It's all been donation based from the start. Really? Yeah, so you go in if, if there's a suggested donation of 10 yeah. bucks or whatever, but But if you don't have it, you don't you're have all good. it. Yeah. yeah. Good. No one's going to be all like good. It's a suggested yeah. donation. Yeah, and it's actually $20. the yoga studio is killing it. And you know, our average donation somewhere around nine bucks. It's like yeah. almost what we would be charging for a drop-in class, anyways. Yeah, it's like, and it's, but the feeling, but the is, feel different. is different. It's, it's different. Not, I mean, I like people do buy my music all the time. Sure, but the ones that just that they know, you know, that they know that they can have it, is like I feel like. You know that Buckminster Fuller quote, uh, you know, we don't try to, it's like loosely that week. We're not, we, if we try to fix the broken system, that's just not how you do it. You have to build a new system that makes the old one yeah, obsolete, obsolete, right? Uh-huh. And for me, it's hard to, to say that we're doing that in practice if we're not really trying things like living from our heart. Yep. And the heart does give things And away. just trusting in abundance in general, mm-hmm. trusting that like the universe through you actually is watching as well like that's the thing i think people don't get is when you do that some part of you feels like you deserve the reciprocity from the universe because yeah. the law of i need that first principle of reciprocity i need being the quechua word mm-hmm. for reciprocity that lives within us too so when we when we cheat somebody or we're a little shady or we overspin the cue ball in our marketing or whatever we know that and we feel like maybe we didn't deserve it and so we're going to manifest that reality that's how it works back to it. that's yeah. fucking how, you can't, how it works you can't, you can't escape it you, don't, you can't you escape it, it. you when i resent someone else i hurt myself Always. you know like it's like when i cheat someone else i lie to someone else i hurt myself mm-hmm. you know it might seem and you like, feel like you deserve the punishment that comes yeah from that totally from that action yeah i mean I, you know it's funny like i have been working really really hard at um being impeccable with my word mm. um Four agreements. Which is tough, man. It's tough because our mind rationalizes white lies and little things. You're like, well, you didn't really need that piece of information. I didn't really need that piece of information. And you're like, but at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to me. And my partner and I were having this discussion the other day uh, with Genevieve. Mm -hmm. And um, we were going through and just going through and just, we do a lot of like clearing that communication is really like the foundation of our of our relationship and we're doing a little bit of clearing and checking in if there was any kinks in the rope in this situation and there was this one thing that was just sitting it wasn't a big deal thing at all but it was something that was just i call i would tell with her i I call it hiding energy yeah like right it's like i'm like oh it's like the hiding energy like right and i'm like but that's not good. That's a symptom of something much right. larger. You know, like why? And that's going to be a barrier. It's going to be a little cushion between mm-hmm. the intimacy that's possible between you because yeah. there's a little bit of you that you're holding holding back. I used to have that practice and I still do with Vi, but I started it with Whitney, my former partner. We called it Bring It to 100. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, because we're in this polyamorous, wild polyamorous experimentation, <laughs> 
it was mm-hmm. some heavy shit. <laughs> really, no, like, really don't want to talk about this. Yeah, it was Seriously some, don't so want to talk about So oftentimes we would have to get on some heart medicine to really give ourselves the courage, not only to share, but the courage to receive. Mm. So we would drop in with some MDMA and like, okay, bring it to 100. And some of the shit that came out was gnarly, <laughs> but with our hearts open, we were able to like receive it and then digest it. But that was the only thing that allowed us to keep going for eight years is getting it just so much better after too like i was you know we we did this yesterday before we we had you know long drive and towards the end of the drive we wanted i was like let's just like let's get let's get to 100 Mm -hmm. you know i'm like we're like 98 right now yep but like that and even you're like why don't we just live at 98 98 feels good 90 feels pretty solid right and you're like yeah but it's not though you know it's like we're if we want to, my, my, my vision has never been to be like good, you know? And I know it's weird to strive towards being a self-actualized being. I think that that will, that is an inhibitor towards ever getting there. Mm. But in terms of just like North star is like, I would like to be truthful in all of my actions. Right. I want to be truthful with all of my speech, not most of it, Right. you know? And even, even if it feels like it doesn't fit the narrative of like, I am a somebody doing something and I'm David Block and I am achieving stuff and people like me because I do things and I must uphold that narrative because it's important for my mm-hmm. somebodyness, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, I don't know. I don't know if that's really how it works. Like doesn't ever feel quite right. No, doesn't ever, doesn't ever quite work. Mm-mm. Another aspect of impeccability with your word, which I think is a, a seductive slippery trap that people run into that actually, uh, Mark Gaffney, who mm-hmm. you actually met as well, he explains it really well is there's a pseudo interiority of feeling like you're on the inside with somebody by placing somebody else on the outside. Right. Mm. So if two people get together and they just talk a little bit of shit <laughs> about anybody, shit. just a little just bit a little of shit, shit, all of a sudden a little circle forms around you and them where it's like, we have a thing that we're saying about this person. So we're on the inside. You're in my in group. Yeah. Now. And this person's on the outside. And all of a sudden it gives this pseudo sense of intimacy between you, but it's false. Yeah. It's not actual. You're just putting somebody outside to make you feel like you're inside. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you keep doing that, and then you're on the outside with everybody, and that's what erodes community in such a strong way. And I think that's what Don Miguel Ruiz really understood as like one of the vectors of why impeccability with your word is so important. It's like you just can't do it. Because when you do, if you catch yourself doing it, and I think we all do at a certain point, we'll just kind of not even mean things. Just, no, no, no. Just it's, subtle little things like the taste, the aftertaste, which is a good sign. It's like ash in your mouth. It's like you picked up the joint and you tried to smoke <laughs> you it from the, the wrong, wrong side. Yeah, the you wrong smoked the wrong side. And, and I think we've all done that at one point. We've all done that. <laughs> I've never done that. I did that recently. I was like, oh, 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 God. It was a cigar, too. I was like, oh, the worst. It really is like that, too. I mean, opposed to the opposite of where we're building real intimacy based on like shared experiences and values and virtues and, and those kind of moments. And I feel like it's like we're all trying to find that little bit of safety, right? And we we experience that safety when we have that little inside thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you did, sh- that person did this to that person. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry they did that to you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're like, oh, okay, well, we're, we're, we're close now. Yeah. And you're like, 
okay, well, sure. But that's like, that's that ash. Pseudo. Yeah, that's not, it's not real. Not real. You know, opposed to the, the, when we have shared experiences, you know, of dancing, of celebrating, of singing, of drumming, of praying, mm -hmm. of all of these, you know, there's so many ways to create real, yep. meaningful, and Loving. once you learn, yeah, when you learn the real ways, you can start to dispose of the ways, those kind of pseudo ways that mm -hmm. you get to these things. And you start to realize the real juice, the real magic, the real sauce is available. And you're like, all right, fuck this. Way more better. Way more better. <laughs> impeccability is something I've noticed from you is it's a thread that goes beyond your word, though, because there's like an impeccability that you hold to your artistic expression, too. And I like, Thank I've you. really seen that. It's like, your art is sacred. Like this is like you worshiping at the altar mm -hmm. of of the divine is like your mm -hmm. commitment to art at the highest level. And it's appreciate really, really unwavering. And of course, many of the artists I know have that, but mm -hmm. for you particularly, it's like it's a polished diamond where it's like yeah. you're there applying your coats of of polish to that to that commitment. And I really appreciate that about you. Yeah, I thank you for seeing that. Yeah. I um I guess I feel like I have a different experience than a lot of different people or, or who, who are artists and who are exploring the arts professionally. Um, I think you know a lot changes when you make your passion your profession. Mm. And that is really hard to do and can continue to maintain integrity just because of the way that the system is set up. You yeah. know, the world and our monetary system and like there are so many different things that are designed that are like you will you will, you will ascribe a value mm -hmm. to what you do and based on how much you get paid or how many people like it or share it, it will be meaningful or meaningless. Mm -hmm. And it's just not how it is when you're using art as a tool for transformation of ourself. Yeah. And for me, I don't, I don't know how I would find, um, art and music has filled my life with meaning. Mm -hmm. You know, not as a meaning just because other people share their experiences with it, but because of the meaning it's given me in terms of exploring my consciousness, exploring my feelings, coping with really challenging times, transmuting and transforming those really challenging experiences into things that have been really meaningful for me right. first, yeah. me, and then sharing it with other people. Um, and I think because, I mean, selfish is a weird word. I've always had a weird time with that word. Cause I was like, well, shouldn't everyone be just a little bit more selfish? And then maybe we'd, maybe it's like I going think, reverse. I in, think uh, everybody <laughs> should be absolutely selfish, but expand the word self to encompass yes. everything all the way from you to exactly. the whole cosmos, exactly. right? It's like, yes, be fucking selfish, yes. starting with you, then your family, the actual then self, your people. Though. Yeah, and then the true yeah. self, the full self, which yeah. is all of the universe and manifestation, all of the people. So exactly. be 100% selfish, just expand exactly. your definition of self. <laughs> yeah, yeah you just, that's, and that's my thing is like, music was so healing, is so healing for me. And, and I, now I've experienced, expanded to a lot of visual art um which has been really really meaningful especially because i don't really share it as much with people and i don't have to mm -hmm. which is which is a blessing for me yeah you know like music does great for me i'm able to you know 
simplify my life, but continue to grow and expand to a larger audience. And I've been able to find these new mediums like sculpture and jewelry and collage and painting and like all these other things that I just get to do for their own sake. Yeah. Because I feel like doing it. Um, and I feel like it's like when we become passionate about something, like you don't have to tell a kid to get off the playground. You have to drag them off the playground. Yeah. yeah. You know, like when I find a new medium, you have to drag me right. away from it. Right. You know, like there's a word in the Hebrew lineage for doing something for its own sake. And it's interesting that we don't have a word for that. We have to like use a bunch of clumsy words to yeah. like get to that. Like <laughs> yeah. it's called lishma, lishma for its own yeah. sake. And it was just this idea it was like an idea that they had so clear and it was so much a part of their practice. It was like, yeah, lishma. Do yeah, you don't for, lishma? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, how, what are you doing this? Not lishma? Not yeah, for its not, own sake? You're you're doing, oh, you're doing this for a purpose? Oh, yeah. you, some strategy in this? Yeah. You know? And, and that's what most of the stuff that we do is. But to really do it for its own sake, that's, yeah. that's powerful. That's fulfilling. I have a slightly intense analogy that I like to use for, for what I like to think is real art. And that, and that can span everything from, like, I don't care if you're making death metal or like crazy hip hop, whatever you, anything, any medium doesn't matter. Um, but there is a pretty distinct difference for me. And one of them, it's a little bit, I guess a little bit, it feels a little slightly crude, but like one of them is like prostitution. I think it's that intense. And one of them is making love. Mm. Like they, you could do the same, it's the same act. I mean, you could, you can have, you can buy that, you know, you can buy it in this world. Mm. But you can't really buy it. You can't. Nope. You can't buy making love. You, nope. It's not a thing. No. Nope. You know, and art is art has the opportunity. The moment the moment it, it's transactional in, in, in any way, money Toast. is just one aspect of yeah. the transactional nature. Yeah. That could that could be applied to it. But once it's transactional, once it's not for its own sake, it's not the same thing. It's, for me, it's like I know, and it sounds like harsh. It's the, it's it's like prostituting what is sacred and divine um for me you know mm -hmm. like um i'm very grateful that people come to my concerts i'm grateful that i get to be here and play um and i do a lot of thinking on like would i do this if no one listened to it like right. what are what are my drivers like why do i really do this am i doing this because every like people do nice stuff for me am i doing it for the validation of people having transformational experiences like why like why do i do the things that i do um so i think about that all the time and for me it's like i've had these moments where i'm like alone in my studio and something will happen and i will just start laughing hysterically you know because i'm like how is this happening it fills me with so much joy yeah. um and I feel like there's an opportunity there. There's an opportunity for people to dig into that aspect of themselves. I feel like artists are alchemists, you know, mm -hmm. like that's like our job is to give a window into the transcendent. Yeah. That's our job. That's our, we have the opportunity to have to be our job. And the only way you're really going to reliably get there is if it's transcendent for you. Totally. Like, cause if you're trying to imagine what the audience is going to want to hear. And that's why I think a lot of things get fucked up with producers. Totally. I've like known a good amount of musicians who are really talented, who've had stuff that was raw, but it was fire. 
Oh yeah. Like there was, it was just them and they were figuring that they got a beat and they were just laying their heart into these tracks. And I was like, this is fucking fire. Yeah. And then they go into the machine and the machine's like, oh no, you got to do it this way. And, uh, um, you know, instead of like this, like hip hop style, rap style, why don't you just go more R and B? And this will be more accessible. Yeah, exactly. You know, more, more people will listen to this. It just turns into dog shit. Yeah. And that's why also some of the greatest pieces of art were created so quickly. Yeah. You know, because they're channeled. They're, it's like a moment of emotion that comes through. And when when people have access to true artistry, um, which is has nothing to do with their identity. Like, like David Block is a great vehicle. Like I'm like a car, mm-hmm. right? Like like my teacher says, he's like, like, he's like, I have a car. I'm not my car. Like I have a body. Right, right. I have a body. I'm not this body. You know, I'm not the, the, I'm not channels one and two. He said, I'm not just my physical characteristics. I'm not just my emotional or psychological characteristics. We're so much more than that. Yeah. And when we flip the channel to get off of those first two, like I am a meat sack and I identify with my somebodyness, and I am mm. David and I make music that you like and you dance to. And like, as soon as I can get to like, I am a soul having a human experience that's where and that's where the name came from mm-hmm. was like i wanted something bigger than me like this is not my music project this yeah. is a music project music is happening there's stuff happening mm. you know it's it might happen with you it might happen with vi it might happen with rising appalachia it might it's just ha- it's a more of a happening more of a verb yeah. than a noun yeah um and and that's not to say that you don't matter because it's totally. happening through you yeah. Like it is it is the David expression of the all manifesting in its very unique way that it will never manifest through another individual who is not David Block. It's coming, it is the divine through you. And yeah. You're like, and the divine's like, oh yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. Oh, go get <laughs> this it. Is go David. Good. This, this is, is good. good. I like I, I like this. I like this prism. Keep keep going. <laughs> it's just light. It's it's the all light filtering through a very specific prism. And you're the very specific prism, and that's your unique name story is how the light comes through your mm-hmm. prism. And our job is just to keep a clear lens on the prism, which that's is to it. eliminate the distortion. But within us is the innate uniqueness of our prism. Yeah. And so it's it's both. It's like clear it all away, but know that all of our angles and facets and refractions are ours as well, as the mm-hmm. divine light is moving through us. And it's it's both. It's the including and transcending of self. It's like this yes and, right? Yeah. Like I I I have a hard time with value judgment and I also have a really harsh uh critic that lives inside of me that like will look at something like compositionally and and Danny, my bandmate, and I talk about objective beauty and subjective beauty mm-hmm. a lot in art. And how there's something like the statue of David, you know, like I know it's a weird example to use mm-hmm. David as a David, but um, <laughs> like, but I when I saw the statue of David, I I cried. Yeah, it was so overwhelmingly beautiful for me objectively mm-hmm. um, that I couldn't even comprehend that a human was involved in its creation. It was so beautiful. Yeah. Now I have that in a lot of different mediums. I like a lot of weird art and like everything from like weird mobiles like alexander calder to like where i'm like it's all about balance and like it's you Mm. know conceptual to like something like a rembrandt where you're like it's just perfect you know (laughs) like um but the 
I, you know, I bring it up just thinking like, I value the unique lens of stuff that comes through David Blockness, mm-hmm. right? Um, I feel like a lot of art is, is just as much as it you do, what you don't do as mm-hmm. what you do. Um, and so like, I value that the choices that I make are what make my music and my art mine, right? Yeah. And you can try to copy it, but it would be not the same, right? It'll be subtly different, whether texture, color, depth, I mean, whatever. There's a million variables sure. in, in the creative process. Where I, where I struggle, and it just, I'm curious your perspective too, is like, where is, like, there's a subtle value judgment when you start to look at things that we call beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, like, like I like, like this piece of art behind us. I'm like, is this beautiful? I don't know. I kind of like the colors. Maybe I can see it conceptually. You know, it has like a Warhol thing they're going with the colors and mm. stuff. Like you know, and maybe this artist has some deep spiritual connection to this. Pe- I have no idea. Who? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a bunch of UFC gloves. It's huh? UFC gloves. Okay, it's fair. I'm trying to give him the better yeah, of the for doubt. Sure, for sure. He's like fighting is my, <laughs> my dharma. Um, but I just like I have like I feel sensitive around it also. Sure. Um, just in taking credit for the things that I do versus just spending a lot of time polishing the mirror to get rid of the distortion. Because it's like those distortion fields are usually what are keeping us from our true gift that every single person has. Yeah. You know, and it's not like every single person can be like, make the same music or every single person can make that quality of a painting or run in the Olympics, but everyone is really good at something. Yeah. You know, and it's usually. And that's being, that's being some aspect of themselves. I think that's the yeah. difference for me between. That's the objectiveness of art. Like mm. what is objective is inherently a bit subject because we won't be able to know, but we can feel it. It's whether it's done from a place of radical truth. Mm. It is not particularly the skill and execution, which is beautiful and appreciative. Like, wow, the skill, the mastery that that person went into, the 40 years of calligraphy that went into doing this yeah. one perfect swoosh of you know, paint on a, yeah, on a canvas. Like, like, it's such an amazing swoosh. Yeah, exactly. It's one line. So, <laughs> yeah. So there do? is something to be said for that, like the appreciation of that level of mastery, but it has to come from that place of real, real rawness and truth with poetry, with song, with music. And I think people get lost in the artifice and this in the skill and the comparative totally. comparative nature of it rather than is this an authentic scream of your soul? Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. it's that, it's fucking beautiful. Doesn't matter if a person can't dance, but they're on the dance floor just yeah. sending it, you know, like fully. I watched somebody yesterday at the festival and he was so fired up that he could, he was dancing, but he couldn't even dance. He started, he started tiptoeing around and like running around in little circles and stuff. And it was like, like you get it. Yeah, you yeah, get yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And it was inspiring. It was like, look at this guy fucking going having the time of his life. Yeah. And like that energy felt really true, like yeah. uninhibitedly true. And it's not like watching Filana or Genevieve, you know, weave their magic. But like that's, the, but there's the edge, right? Like yeah. at what point in time, as we make the, our passion, whether that's movement or whatever, our profession, 
I feel like that's where it gets sticky, right? Yeah. Someone's like, well, I'm really passionate about making music and I, I'm, it, it's, it's my thing. Music is my thing. I'm going to share it now right. with everyone. And that's where I feel like it's, as we're navigating being a human being on earth in real practical, pragmatic, earthly terms, how we're trying to navigate that space between our, our, our bodies on earth and our divinity. Our divinity is being like, I'm going to create. Creation is happening. It's right. just flowing. I've polished the mirror. Mm. I've eliminated the distortion fields. And I'm a musician now. Mm. And you're like, but your pitch is bad. <laughs> yeah. You know? And you're like, it, and that's hard. Yeah. You know? I, I feel like I'm constantly navigating that well, still. It's, I mean, it's there's things that are going to be great for your intimate circle in the living room like you watch someone who just loves to sing and they just belt and maybe it's like a karaoke thing it's like yes fucking yes Yes. (laughs) but that doesn't mean that you're a musician as a career if you want to do that that's years of singing lessons and and sweat and labor and that's what's going to bring mix your passion with the skill yeah that's going to allow it to be something great like i can put a thousand percent effort into i remember you know i was always a a decent athlete and everything and put Uh a lot of heart into it remember i played i'm never a good soccer player but we had like indoor soccer fraternity league and i would just fucking send it but i was terrible (laughs) like i was terrible (laughs) just just terrible and so like i'm not gonna be a professional soccer player and that's okay and that's all right but still was that experience great for me and was it fun for my teammates to watch who could play soccer watching me just flail around and do they like they loved it you know know what's interesting opposed to the people who are sometimes naturally extremely good at that right they're miserable totally you know and and it's like that's when I think I, I, I really start thinking like, well, what is the purpose of doing what I'm doing? Right. Is the purpose of what I'm, of what I'm doing to move me forward it financially or so I can get more things? Are they material based or is it something more? And then finding the, the combination of those ingredients, right? Like to say like, oh, okay, well, I do, I do enjoy nice things. You know, I, 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 I like nice things. I like nice food. I, yep. you know, I like to be able to take my partner to, to cool places. I, I want to be able to go to do nice things with my friends. So there's an aspect of that. And then there's the aspect of like, well, am I, am I being joy? Mm. You know, am I happy with my life? And it's like, when I think about you playing soccer, mm-hmm. I see you with like a big shit eating grin, having yep. a blast yep. and you're like, okay, well, he's fumbling a little bit, but whatever, uh, yeah, you know, for sure. just like, and whatever. there was the, the, the interesting thing that can happen is when your identity gets wrapped up in something, there's an immense amount of pressure. Totally. So actually I've had, I had consistently just the most ecstatic experience playing sports that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing because I have no expectation <laughs> that I'm going to be good. Well, you're but, playing yeah. sports. You're, so, you if know, I, but like... if I play basketball, sometimes I'll have a lot of fun. But sometimes, because a basketball player is part of what Aubrey Marcus is and was, uh-huh. if I'm having a slightly off game, you know, it's miserable. not fun. Yeah, it's not, miserable. Huh? And then I'll be thinking about it, even with the rec league that I started recently. I play a bad game. I mean, we're talking a two-day hangover really? of like self, uh, self-condemnation wow. still. And I'm like, come on, man. You're fucking <laughs> 41. You know, like you've, you're not How doing- much ceremony do I have to do <laughs> exactly. to enjoy fucking basketball, <laughs> yeah, exactly. okay? I just want to play basketball. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
I know, man. I do. I feel you. I have this experience. I think I've put out, I think I've put out over a couple hundred pieces of music, right? I've written five hundred plus pieces of music. I've had enough people tell me that my music's impacted their life to to think you would think at this point it would be fine you know and it's great i get great feedback it's like you know it's like i birthed my child i conceived my child we did we did, 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 did all these magical things i would say almost every song i make i have an existential meltdown that i am useless and that i've lost my touch I'm never going to make a good song again, that I've already done all the chord progressions that I actually like and that everything just sounds the same and that my music is garbage (laughs) all all the time. Yeah. All the time. And I like, I sit there and like, I mean, thank God I have so many interesting other philosophical creative friends. I'm going to be like, do you ever have this? Does this happen to you? And they're like, yeah, all the time, you know? And I'm like, Oh, great. That's really a relief, you know. I thought <laughs> well, it was you the hear only those, one. You hear those stories about so many painters. Some I don't I don't have the names of them um fresh, but there's I've heard the parables and stories many times of painters who would finish their paintings, masters. Yeah. People we call masters who would want to have to be like restrained by the other people in their who they were working with mm. from destroying their art. <laughs> yes. Like right when I it's done. destroy this. <laughs> Michelangelo, please don't yeah, do yeah. that. It's exactly. pretty, I gotta say, it's a pretty nice piece, you know? Yeah. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Because your inner torment is, uh-huh. yeah. It's interesting. It's tough, you it's know? And it, it's helpful in some regards because we're striving for something that's impossible. Totally. But when the expectation is that impossible, will, the impossible will actually manifest, that's where we get fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's constant for me. It's hilarious. I I, I laugh at myself now because I like, I have at least like self-awareness is an important part of our journey, right? Of our spiritual evolution. It's kind of like, for me, it's like the first part and maybe the last part also, but like the first part is be like, oh, I, I, something else is happening. Mm -hmm. I am not just the meat sack. There's something more than that. Oh, Myself is not just David. Myself includes Aubrey. Mm-hmm. If I'm not kind to Aubrey, I'm not kind to myself. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what we were talking about earlier. That expanded definition of self, yep. which is which is crucial for me at this point for humanity to understand. Right? right. For it's for it's imp- really crucial. I think it's the most important thing for this time now. Yeah. Right. Like I would we agree are. With that. We're there's a energy that's pushing people more and more into separateness into their separate self whether it's identity politics which is narrowing you by this race and this gender and this sexual oh you like that this, so you must be blue or you must this, be yeah, red everybody's oh. just like mm. we're forgetting the the sameness which is the essential truth the thing that is always true that we're all coming from that same source light that same starfire that's filling us up and refracting through our own unique prism. And if we could get back to just seeing that, then all of these other differences would seem minor and inconsequential to mm. the real truth of like, oh, I see you. I mean, that's, that's like, that's I think what namaste is all about, right? Like the divine in me sees the divine in you. Mm-hmm. And if we could actually get to that, then we could sort out all of these things and celebrate the differences that totally. we have. I think of like the, how that would look on like a practical, you know, level, because like for me, I, I, I exist 
part of the time as like I play 100 to 120 concerts a year and I'm traveling constantly. I'm going from here to there, doing all this stuff. It's very uh, human doingness mm-hmm. more than human beingness. Right, and then I have the other side as a vipassana practitioner, and that sits a lot of time in self-reflection, and like is constantly wondering, like, you know, contemplating my navel, kind of like, how did I get here? What came before time? What is the universe expanding into? The void? What's a void? Mm. You know, this is like how my mind works a lot of the time, right? So when I think about like, it's easy to talk about um, how like if we if we all treated each other like like if we just did the golden rule, just golden rule, just pick one, yeah, treat others the way you want to be treated. But if we did that from the lens that like I actually am you, like we are literally the same thing, not not um, just conceptually, literally, mm. like the fabric of our being is the same. Mm. It looks different, but that's an illusion. Mm. I think what would happen practically is like, it's easy for me to talk about spirituality, but I look at people, one in seven people on planet earth don't have clean drinking water. So I should just tell them that like, you know, karma, you know, no clean drinking water for you this birth. And it's like, well, no, you know, I think that things like, if you look at like obesity and starvation in the same country, what? 40% of food grown, thrown away? What? Well, what I think you're tracking is is you're tracking that the system has forgotten this truth so long ago that now we're living in the truly actually unjust manifestations of decisions of generations past. Exactly. That have existed because of the conditioning of the separate self, my tribe versus your tribe. As long as I got mine, we're good. It's my food. Fuck you over yeah. there. You know, like <laughs> exactly. That idea played out over eons has mm-hmm. created the situation that we're in. And then a lot of people will try to reconcile the horror of this fact that wow, that person with the distended belly and the parasites that can't get clean water is me living a different life and they didn't deserve that. And that's mm. that's just simply fucked up. Yeah. And like in order to reconcile that, they'll play games of karma like, well, you know, in past life, they must have been someone who did the other thing. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> you don't fucking know that, but maybe that makes or you- Or just sl- be more mindful with yeah, how you treat may- other people yeah. and don't throw away all your food. <laughs> yeah. That may make you sleep better at night to think that they like this is karma, but m- maybe not. You know, yeah. Maybe this is just, there are consequences to our actions. And to me, the focus is, it's like we have to correct the upstream problem, the upstream toxicity of the myth of separation, as Charles would call it. Yeah. We have to address that because there will be perpetually new, starved, war-torn, trafficked people always. It's symptoms. Until there's symptoms, there's symptoms of, of the disease. Like We have Correct. to attack the disease. That doesn't mean that we can't give money or give support or give you know help those that are, that are needed, but the amount of need that's there that's that's happening is overwhelming mm-hmm. and also like and so yes i'm not saying not to do any of that of course and our heart wants to do all that but so much of our effort has to be to correct the source problem otherwise the drinking water from that fountainhead is all going to be polluted and it's just totally. going to create more of the same 
it's it's such it's such a weird time right now because yeah. you know we have um, access to all of these ancient lineages that have told us basically the same thing from from the Gnostics to the Kabbalists to the Sufis yep. to the indigenous from everywhere to, I mean, they're all kind of, they, they've all been pointing at this. And on the one hand, we have access. And then on the, two, on the second hand, we have crazy division. And it's like everyone, and even within people within spiritual communities, it's that that's like that's the one that makes me even if i laugh at myself sometimes like uh genevieve does a really great job but sometimes it feels very like she's poking me in the stomach but like i'm happy she does it in the end it's like when i when i if i lose my cool or lose my temper or something from a trigger and i'll start speaking in a way that's not compassionate and she'll be like, she'll say something like, is that how your teacher would speak or something? Like, is that how Ram Dass would speak? And I'm like, no, <laughs> fuck you and no. Uh, and okay, moment, you know? And it's yeah. just, there's just so much division. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it's, it's wild, right? You get so many people that are, you know, just in the cancel culture of everything of mm. like you have one belief system that's slightly different than someone else's and you're done yeah you know and you're like you're like guys i hate to break this to you but you 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 don't fight darkness with darkness yeah light does that well people know? are if people were really aware they would find this pseudo ecstasy in the destruction of another person and the and the self-righteous feeling of virtue of being the destroyer like you think of the horrific things that happen like right now these attacks are happening with pixels which is very damaging and actually can cause people to commit suicide like actually like it can be really gnarly the way i don't that, know what you, i don't know what <laughs> the way that like well social media ah, attack okay. with pixels yeah, totally. pixels, on pixels. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah pixels on it on a and that's really what it is it's pixels like, forming words on a fucking screen that you're reading and that's the that's the attack but it has the same energy as the people who were throwing stones when yeah. someone was in a circle who did something that was heretical or who did something that was against the social norms mm -hmm. that were available those people picking up the stones like there was an ecstasy in that in that moment of destroying that other person when that the feeling of vigor and fire of when yeah, self-righteous like so, I, yeah, exactly with i the am right and you are wrong and you yeah. i will destroy you right like, and okay. it's it's there's if they're really looking there is a real darkness there's a real darkness of that ecstasy of destroying somebody else that mm -hmm. is just also a part of the cosmos and i think part of what needs what's an invitation to happen at least i don't think i have any authority to say what anybody or anything needs is the level of introspection to to see where people we are getting off on what we're doing we're getting off oh, love on, it. They, on, oh, on putting love somebody it. in their place yeah. getting off on being better than somebody else just really getting off on it like some part of our psyche is just vigorously yeah. masturbating with a fucking <laughs> snarl I am like so much more spiritual yeah exactly and that's that's ascended. really 
that's like really what's happening and then to to realize okay that's what's happening and then to realize we all have that little fucking masturbating ecstasy and destruction demon i'm valuable and (laughs) need something yeah i'm important that that energy is in all of us so when we see that energy you know see that and awareness for what it is but also you know tatva masi i am that too you know that's mm-hmm. a, that's in there in me or ho'oponopono like let me find that little demon in me and cure that demon in me and allow that cure to actually totally. affect you know what's happening externally i found this uh text it's a uh, buddhist text by the third patriarch of zen it's called the great way um it's like 17 minutes i recommend youtube looking at the ram das he's just reading it it's like 17 minutes it's great and one of them says um there are all these like short lines kind of like the Tao, mm-hmm. and it says uh to set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind to set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind well you're like well that's really tough yeah like that's really tough because if you think about it everything is either i like or i don't like that's it and it's we we just basically humans just oscillate back and forth between i want more of this i want less of this that's desire mm. desire of suffering or mm. attachment to the outcomes of our desires is what leads to our suffering mm. you know so i i and then to set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind you're like well this guy's a fucking asshole this guy hitler he's an asshole yep. i don't like him he's like well, you will be stuck suffering for as long time. And a lot of people were like, no, they don't. I, I use that analogy. I'm Jewish, right? So yeah. Jewish. Yeah. I use Hitler as an example because my and a lot of my family was killed in the Holocaust and it's just un, unbelievable ways. Yeah. And my grandfather was blown up by a bomb in World War II and got a purple heart. You know, like mm-hmm. our family felt it. Personal, yeah. For real. Um, and, and anyone in that time i can imagine did i mean my 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 lineage was actually persecuted in the pogroms in russia similar idea less central figure but right yeah, that and level so, of people just coming to your house and but how do raping, i have forgiveness for that person yeah, exactly you know it's like that and that's where i feel like i mean there's so many different levels to our our spiritual evolution um my, you know my teacher says two things you only need two things like really that feels like great there's only two things i need to do i, I need to love everybody and tell the truth mm. and I, but the truth is i don't, I don't love, love everybody <laughs> and you're so like start there Fuck. start there yeah yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> important like, there's actually an order to it i yeah. think i think truth and love are actually synonyms but the pathway to love is through truth yeah i've really that's what i've really found i was like okay if truth love god these are synonyms for something Mm -hmm. similar like what's the easiest way to get there for me it's truth because i can really get a handle on that a lot easier than love i can try but but if i'm not being truthful about the love it's it's no but it's not real it's not real yeah like you know what (laughs) truth can be real and so like that for me is the first pathway it's the first door yeah so it's like it's almost like I, of course, I love that teaching as well, right? Yeah, love but that's yeah, really rough. It's like that's not yeah. like it. I think it actually should be reversed. Yeah. Tell the you know, be in truth. Yeah, and then, then love, love everybody. everybody. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you know you're I mean? like the first part. You're like this asshole. <laughs> yeah. This fucking For asshole. Sure. Are you serious? You want me to love this person? 
Like, how can I love this person? Look at the choices they're making, you know? And it's like, you know, until we start to like heal and learn, like this is the power of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, like I was real, like when I was growing up, I was, um, I was really challenged as a youth. I was very creative, you know, I was in all the gifted programs, but I had a really hard time focusing. So I was heavily, heavily medicated for like 12 years. Um, like Ritalin and Pamelar and all the things that like basically tried to take the enormity of my energy, which is a, which is a lot, like I have a lot of energy, and to focus it into like a 1920s industrial education model, which was hard for me. You know, so for a long time, like I felt like out of out of place um, in a way, like of trying to find uh, like who who I was. Mm-hmm. You know, that like my my learning disabilities were actually okay, and, and now I call them my learning superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, that like the way that I thought about things uh, was was different than other people, right? So so I was super challenged. And, um, and so I said just terrible things to my mom. Mm. My mom is like an unconditionally loving saint of a being. I hope she watches this podcast. Mom, you're fucking awesome. I love you. <laughs> and, and I've made my formal apologies to my mom, but my mom never, ever for a single moment stopped loving me at all. Our, her love was truly unconditional. She said, I don't have to like the choices you make. In fact, I don't like most of the choices, many of the choices you're making, the words that you're choosing to say, the way you're choosing to treat me. But I will, but she, her, her embodiment of forgiveness is mm-hmm. enabled it, based on a foundation of unconditional love. Because mm-hmm. that, uh, that foundation of unconditional love is the fertile soil for forgiveness. Yeah. For to say like, I know that you are acting like a hurt person. I know you're mm-hmm. acting from your anger. I know that your anger and your frustration and your resentment and, and all those other qualities, which are hard and are real. You know, she always said, no one's emotions are invalid. Mm. My emotions as a kid were real for me. I had a really hard time, right? Even though I had a beautiful environment and a loving mother and father, it was hard for me. But, and if I, I can't imagine being on the other side and needing to embody forgiveness in the way that my mom did. But, the, but because, that she, because she did do that, because I have an actual example of that, I'm able to be like, oh, forgiveness is possible. Mm. When, I, when I choose forgiveness, I choose to, I, I'm really choosing love, right? Yeah. You know, because if, I, if, I, if I'm harboring resentment towards you, and that could be at every level, Harboring resentment, you you took my girl, you stole my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Or harboring resentment, you killed my family. Mm-hmm. Harboring resentment, you tried to eliminate my people. Mm. It's, I mean, it gets harder as you move up the ladder, right? Um, and to think about like, I've tried this. I've been doing this practice now for almost a decade. Um, I don't know if I've gotten a lot. I've gotten a little bit better, but it's tough. It's tough. You know? It seems to me, as I've meditated on this as well and mm. thrown it into practice, it seems to me that it's necessary to embrace the truth at each, at each aspect of our dimensionality, right? So you can't just bypass to, totally. the, to the spiritual 
you know, all things great. Yeah. Hitler's just another being. Right, right. Like you can't just you can get there, but you also have to acknowledge all of the different aspects of you, like the separate self aspect and all of these other very emotional wounded aspects Mm -hmm. and allow them to have their voice and their cry and their wail and their expression and their their emotion of rage that just comes out and like, okay, that's great. And like, yes, and and. this, this this purview is also true always at all times. And then the I think the mastery it comes from when you can shift your purview honestly, not by negating anything else and not by tricking yourself into thinking I'm only this. Mm-hmm. Like I always say it's it's cool to act like Jesus if you're Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, otherwise, don't fucking try to get there and pretend you're all Jesus when you got some part of you that wants like, to like I mean, you're kind of an ass, bro. (laughs) I mean, like, seriously. Like, you just did that. You're not Jesus. So, so like, embrace the full spectrum of your being and know that all of those things are true. And I think when you actually include all of those, it allows you to actually shift your perspective more towards... Yes. those that divine side but that's the only chance we got because yeah. we gotta everything has to have its voice mm. and until we've legitimately shifted our purview to that aspect that can see from the divine perspective which i think is a very rare percentage of beings who are mm-hmm. able to reach that level for now yeah yeah for sure but, but some part of some part of me is is also happy with happy with just understanding the broad spectrum of what is possible so knowing that i can jump into that identification or i can just sit in that other one where i want to put on the 300 soundtrack and visualize (laughs) fucking grabbing my sword and shield and just going to town you know like there's i like i kind of like this aspect of we have our humanity and we have our divinity yeah that we have both of them right you know if if we're so focused on killing our ego and getting rid of our humanity we miss the whole point yeah you know it's like we are we are our humanity and and we are our divinity you know we're both of those things you know it's like i this is great story that uh you know, uh, Ram Dass had a, uh, a friend named Emmanuel who didn't have a body. He was a disembodied oh, yeah, being. Yeah. And um, he'd be like, well, you know, he's talking to Emmanuel and he was saying, um, try, just trying to kind of figure out and like move with uh, just how to navigate life. And he, and he said, you spent so much time, Emmanuel saying to Ram Dass, he said, you spent so much time on your divinity you know, but you you did take a human birth. Have you ever tried taking the human curriculum? Like, have you ever tried being human? Like, like lean into that. Mm. Like, it, and it's just like, you know, kind of when I think about that story, there's just one other story that said, you know, he's like, after 20 years, he goes back to Harvard, right? He's Richard Alpert, he leaves. And he goes to India, becomes Ram Dass comes back he's meditated in caves for months darkness mm. retreats take it to like <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. 50 i mean That's like where they came from fasting right. all the psychedelics to for months like 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 to the nth degree comes back to harvard 20 years later and runs into a friend and he's he's like you know dick you haven't changed a bit <laughs> and he's like you know that's when he realized he's like you know what after 20 years of meditating, after 20 years of fasting, 
I haven't gotten rid of a single one of my neuroses. Uh, yeah. The only difference is, is now when they come in, I don't invite them to stay. I invite them in for tea and it says, oh, hello, neurotic OCD. Oh, yes. Good to see you. No, you can't stay. Yeah. Good to see you. You're a part of me. <laughs> uh-huh. And keep going. It's yeah. my humanity. Right. You know, not to say like, oh, well, you're a bad, you're a terrible person. You're having a terrible birth. Your karma's shit. You're a bad person because mm-hmm. you have X thought or Y thought. You're like, no, you're a human being. And you're a divine being. Mm. Or both of those things. Yeah. You know, one of the key codes, because what you're talking about is setting the good up against the bad. And and it's really actually just saying preference yeah. fundamentally. And like, man, it's difficult to get rid of preference. It's, really it's real difficult. And, and, and I, so but what I've actually found is, and a lot of people in the Buddhist, in the Buddhist way, it's like, you know, suffering or desire. They say desire is a contract with yourself to be unhappy until you get what you want. Right. Like there's these sayings that go around like this and like, and it's like, well, well fuck. I don't think that I don't think that's going to work. At least not for me. You know, I understand. I understand the message that they're saying, mm-hmm. but I want to live a red-blooded, passionate life <laughs> of desire. But what I realized the key code was, and this key code is really—I've been sitting with it. It's recent, and it's changed everything for me because as mm-hmm. I've gone deeper and deeper into deep contemplation, psychedelic-assisted contemplation, mm-hmm. my ketamine canvas. <laughs> what do I want? What do I want? Finally, what I got to is I want to want. Hmm. My desire is for desire itself. And so when desire becomes lishma for its own sake, when you desire desire, you've actually reached a state where you will be satiated by your own desire because desire is your desire. <laughs> right? That's and I pretty was like, meta. Fucking, it was fucking <laughs> cool. Because when I really want something, I'm alive. Like when you really yeah, want something, you're so alive. Like that passion of like, mm-hmm. and that's why Sebastian Younger's book, Tribe, people were the most happy when their like situation was difficult and food was scarce or bombs were mm-hmm. dropping and they had, cause they wanted something bad and they were so alive and they'll recount those days, the best times in their life. Why? Because they wanted something. Yeah. It was the want the, the itself that was satisfying, but they were actually focused on the ends of it something beyond the lishma, something, some result. But totally. the result is never going to satisfy you. That, that's, so for me, Buddhist, that's the key. The Buddhist the got key. that part right. Yeah. The result will never satisfy. Like Anthony DeMello fucking eviscerates the idea. I don't know if you've read any of his uh-uh. work. Oh, fucking unbelievable. Okay. He eviscerates the understanding that that which you think you desire will actually bring you happiness. But he goes the Buddhist route. He's like, just get rid of it. Like, don't. And I was like, that fucking can't work for me, Demela. Like, I understand the point you're making is accurate. Like those things, no matter what I've desired when I've gotten them, it never filled that thing that I was craving. Mm-hmm. But if I just shift my perspective to craving, craving itself, you know, <laughs> then at that point, I'm fuck. I win. I won. You're like, I beat the simulation. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, exactly. Sucker. Exactly. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So no, I, just, I, I feel you. I, I guess for me, like I with with the, with the desire tip, like I I agree with you. Like you know, feeling alive, taking the human curriculum. It seems that we want things, and it seems like we don't want things, and we you know we try to figure out how to get more of the things that we want and right. get rid of the things that we don't want. 
And for me, the the suffering part that can't, one of my, the biggest learnings that happened through Vipassana is um, pain plus resistance equals suffering. Equals suffering. Right. Pain is inevitable. You can't get rid of it. Yeah. Just get used to it. Life is full of pain. But if you eliminate the resistance to the pain, you end suffering. Pain is still there. Yeah. But the value of like pain, like, you know, when you're, and you, you know, you feel it physically, you're sitting there, you're meditating for 10 hours and you're like, my back hurts. Like it feels like someone is smashing me in the back with a bat, mm -hmm. right? Is that bad or is it just a sensation, mm -hmm. right? Is objectively, it's just a, a sensation. There's no objective, like the pain in your back is bad. Yeah. Now I might decide I want less pain in my back, right? So I push it away. There's resistance. You know, for me with suffering, it's like, my amendment to that, those, the Buddhist lineage of, of like suffering is the cause of desire, and maybe they mean desire is the cause of suffering. Desires, uh, desires the cause of suffering, is that our it's the attachment to the outcome. Right, that's the difference. Oh. I don't get what I want now. I best. also think that the inverse is not also true. Like aversion, aversion as a want, I want to not. Yeah. The, the inversion of that isn't actually, doesn't actually get you anywhere. That type of want will actually, is a dead end, is a dead end that leads straight to suffering. Mm -hmm. So like the desire to not is not actually, it's actually an aversion, which mm -hmm. is usually based in like some kind of fear or some kind of, mm -hmm. that is where the application of acceptance and like actually alchemizing and reframing what that thing is as a sensation, that's where that becomes a real virtue. Mm -hmm. So I would say that it, the code that I was sharing only works for the the positive application of desire, not the avoiding this. Like I don't want this. But well, you could say yeah. that's a want. You could say that's a desire. I desire to not want this, but it doesn't work if it's that way. Yeah, I don't think that's how the I don't think that's how the fundamental framework nope. of the universe works. You like when I do, I love I love magic, and I love speaking into reality because our you know in the beginning was the word. Our words have power, yep. like real power. Um, so Genevieve and I start our day every day. We first start with gratitudes, our gratitude practice. We do like two or three minutes each and it's everything. I'm grateful for this moment. I'm grateful for clean water. I'm grateful for this comfortable bed. I'm grateful through the dappled sunlight coming through our window. I mean, like little things, right? I'm grateful for the smell of da da da, whatever. And the second thing we do is we speak our day in as, as it's done. Today was a beautiful day. Mm. I woke up early and I went to the gym and I exercised my body. I got to go at this great IV drip and go to this cool vibrating chair from my buddy. And mm -hmm. I did this great podcast with Aubrey and I danced and I celebrated with my friends. My gifts were celebrated and I received so much abundance because people valued my gifts. My music and my art impacted and changed people's lives and people had a beautiful, joyous day on earth, something like that, whatever it is, yeah. right? I am very mindful because that's magic. Mm -hmm. That's real magic, mm -hmm. by the way. If you, you know, for all the people who wanna borrow that practice, that's real magic. Yeah. It really works. Like what you were talking about, speaking the story that of yeah. Arcadia. Yeah. yeah, and the story fundamentally changes your reality. And it if changes everyone your is doing that, yeah. You know, if everyone is speaking those new stories of that more beautiful world that we know is possible, we have a higher probability, at least in that kind of pocket of time space, 
to actually experience that. Yeah, behold, I make all things new is the key to the kingdom, the key to Arcadia, the key to that more beautiful world is actually creating it. We're in, like everybody, there's so much buzz about the multiverse. There's movies coming out about the multiverse and everybody's acting like they're independent things that are created by some other creator. Well, yeah, maybe, but the multiverse that's happening all the time is our multiverse of our own story everybody creates their own story and if mm. story is a is an aspect of the universe what i was explaining yesterday mm. the kabbalion all is mind the universe is mental so we're in this collective story of the mind of the divine mm-hmm. all the way up all the way down we have our own individual story and so we're in a multiverse of ourself we're in one universe that we've created as a fractal of the divine <laughs> and we get to decide how that story is and yeshua's teaching behold i make all things new is to see everything in your story differently and then you are in the more beautiful world if you can do it you're in it mm-hmm. and you can invite other people into that same default reality where all of the multiverses intersect to a certain degree into the one universe the one verse universe the one verse of many different songs many different voices being played Mm. in your story participating in the greater story but you have autonomy and authority over your story Mm -hmm. well yeah and one thing i feel like is important as we were just talking about that other piece it what doesn't work is i'm telling the story of arcadia i spent the day in arcadia and everyone wasn't an asshole Okay, yeah. that's not how it goes. Yeah. We need a reframe on magic. You, that's not how it works. The universe doesn't hear. I don't. I, uh, everyone was finally not an asshole. Right. And the food wasn't bad. Yeah. You're like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, that's not. We have to reframe. Be like, everyone communicated with loving kindness and I was nourished all day. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a big difference in that, right? And, we, and I think we have to be mindful I'm doing, trying to do better. I am, let me rephrase that. I am doing better. Uh, right, right, right. Good <laughs> catch. Doing, Good I catch. am doing better at my reframe because mm-hmm. it's easy to, to get caught up in the things that we don't want. Yeah. And, and, it, and it is a subtle but massive, it's a game-changing shift. Yeah. When we say what, exactly what you said, if your desire is desiring, you say, well, I'm calling in the things that I am, I, I do want in my life. Yeah. Not not right. calling out the things <laughs> right. that I don't want. You're like, I see where the logic is there, but but no. Yeah, don't do, do it that. the other way. <laughs> yeah, do, do it, it the, the other, other way. way. Going back to what you were saying about pain, one of the other codes that I've that I've gotten that I'm really working with is to find fearless pain. If you can find fearless pain, because so much of the resistance to pain that creates the suffering that we're talking about typically involves some kind of fear. Mm-hmm. you feel something let's say you think you're getting sick and it's a little uncomfortable this is a big one for me like i start to feel a little tickle in my sinuses well the tickle in my sinuses is like not a fucking big deal mm-hmm. but the fear yeah. that i'm gonna get sick or the fear of this is it gonna feel, get worse yeah i feel a pain is this ever gonna go away is yeah. this gonna be a permanent affliction is my you know this thing never gonna recover is this planner's work gonna be here forever yeah, on yeah. my heel yeah. every time i step it's yeah. gonna be like this you know whereas each little step on your heel on the planners well, i haven't got one of those in, in years but i used to get those on my heel yeah and it was like every little step is not a big deal but the fear that this is going to continue forever and ever and ever whatever oh. the story is about that fear 
creates so misery. much discomfort, so, so much, much suffering. Yeah. So if you can actually find fearless pain, mm. and I think that's why, like going into a cold bath and mm. going doing some of these things, where you do it in the absence of fear and train yourself to feel pain without fear, we can deal with pain. Oh, totally. We can totally. We've been deal dealing with it for for a long time, and we have to. Yeah. So, but if you can just just extricate, like deconflate the the fear and the pain and so you just experience pain but without the fear you're on your path to be like a real alchemical wizard yeah i mean for me that's the biggest practical takeaway of my vipassana practice it's like you know it's great to uh to be nicer and more peaceful and all these you know there's a lot of practical benefits of having a a meditation practice Mm. And I mean practical in the sense that like, yes, there it's improving maybe your spiritual karma, depending on what you believe in. And like your humanity where you're like, oh, I'm less reactive and more responsive. Uh, I'm less triggered and more aware of my triggers when they're coming up so I can be more responsive instead of reactive, things like that. But one of the big ones has been the the mitigation of pain. Yeah. I have like a really weird, I don't know if it's past life stuff. Maybe I should talk to other someone else about this, but I I I have this like my my creativity it can go a little bit like awry sometimes and it will go down this like dark rabbit hole of what's happening with humanity and like, you know, although I live a great life as a white male in America with a lot with privilege and all mm-hmm. these things. I'm, I look at the rest of the world sometimes and I'm like, Jesus, this is really not good. And then I spiral into these the experiences of like torture and misery and starvation. And like, uh, I'm an empath. So mm-hmm. like I feel it in my, in my, yeah. it hurts yeah. like physically. Um, when, when it's not very often, but it does happen. Sometimes. I think it's important. I think it's really important to actually feel that we can't hold it at all times because it's debilitating. Yeah. But I've had some profound experiences where I've stepped into the broadest, the broadest sense of self mm-hmm. that I've ever been able to step into in this spiritual evolution. Again, you know, the medicines have been a huge ally mm-hmm. for me in being able to access this, but it'll pop me into the most expanded version of self. And in some of those moments, I've felt the suffering of the collective self, of me as every person who is suffering. And the tears and the sobbing that came, came from such a well of like, mm. oh my God. <laughs> and you know, like, I, can, I can touch it again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so big, man. Yeah. It's so big. And then like you feel that and you, I can't hold that. I'm not gonna bring that into tonight's dancing yeah. and whatever but every once in a while to know like it's important to touch that and just just calibrate that and let let yourself know mm-hmm. that that's real yeah that's real and then that also that's what f- sparks my desire because if i don't feel that if i don't feel that then why do i care about this next book that i'm writing or the next thing that yeah. i'm doing i don't care as much and then I, my desire is not as strong and then i'm not as happy and i don't every and nothing works so 
occasionally dropping in to that deepest level of compassion where you're feeling the suffering of the world to the maximum degree that you're capable and hopefully even expanding mm. your ability to be compassionately empathic mm-hmm. and like to drop into that and feel that then that allows like a greater fire totally to go out and so i think it's so important to touch that and also to be able to let it go. And that's that's the other piece, right? Like bringing it full circles, like as we're le- learning to navigate pain, um, like, and not run away from it. Yeah. Like that. that's the thing is like, on the one hand, I could probably be like, that experience is too painful for me. Push it away. Yeah. You know? And what happens as a result of that? Not good. Yeah. Right? Opposed to feeling all the feelings, embracing our humanity and saying like, I feel a lot. I cry a lot. Yeah. I feel, I feel the suffering of humanity regularly. You know, I'm a very joyous being, Mm. but I am feeling all the feelings all the time. And it's a really intense experience. And that's why art's been so healing for me because I'm able to alchemize those feelings and experiences into something else. But if I push away that pain, and I run away from the pain, it's no good. No. You and know? you know, there's an ecstasy into feeling pain in its pure, in its pure form. And ecstasy is a strange word, but you know, passion of the Christ, for example, right? Which is the suffering. Mm-hmm. But like, there's an ecstasy in that. Even just a moment ago where I just, I've, I've, I've forged the pathway for me to feel it. And even me getting in there and my eyes getting a little wet and like me feeling it, mm. You could say that feeling was bad because I'm crying and I'm feeling pain, but there was an ecstasy of aliveness that I even just felt just now. Mm-hmm. And especially when it was at its strongest point, you know, when I was really in my most expanded self and I was sobbing, I look back at that and I don't think like, man, that was a tough diet. I was mm-hmm. like, that night was special. Mm. There was sad an is ecstasy. not bad. No, if no, when it's sad real. is sad. Yeah, it was, there's bad. like an ecstasy. Yeah. You you like you take it to its fullest conclusion. There's like this sense of radical aliveness that comes. That to me is you know I've always identified as a as a poet. Mm-hmm. You know, the warrior poet mm-hmm. was like some of the first ideas I had of the mixing these two ideas and mm. and to be a poet of any sort, you have to be able to feel pain you know yeah like there's a there's a country song that i like and and the the chorus is how can you sing if you can't cry you know and it's that's like, a great line yeah right i it's thought like, you're gonna say you gotta know when to hold them and know when to fold them <laughs> no. I, I was like which is also yeah. a great line from a country song yeah for sure for sure <laughs> so there's some wisdom in there. i like country music but how can you sing if you can't cry you know and there's something really true about that gotta feel all the feelings you know i mean we're especially for i think there's a big there's i don't think there's an enormous amount of healing that that men need to go for us to rediscover our emotional body Mm. we've been shamed for thousands of years as as weakness the more that we explore our emotional body um and 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 you you look at the result of that turned out slightly shitty for our world world <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah when when people don't express themselves and it's for men and women but you know i i guess i can only speak from my own experience um as a man you know the the healing journey that i've been on to 
connect with my emotional body, Hmm. to feel feelings, and not only to feel them, but to allow and accept them as perfect as they are, as real as they are, and to be able to vulnerably communicate them so I can like have more connection. Yeah. I think, and, the, and I feel like for me, this that's actually one of the biggest foundations of building real trust. It's like when, I, when, some, when, when people who are coming to Arcadia hear you on stage sharing your heart vulnerably and vulnerably should not be comfortable, mm. you know, just because something feels edgy doesn't mean it's vulnerable for mm-hmm. you. But mm-hmm. when your heart is open and you're sharing vulnerably and people can feel that, it's a it's a transmission, right? Like it's something, an energy that you're giving out to people. It it's it it enables people to soften and to find that place in themselves because they're like, oh my god, this strong being is being vulnerable and and connected and authentic. I trust him. Mm. I trust them. Yeah, yeah. You know that it, the ability to understand the full spectrum of who you are and not leave things in the shadows is so so powerful and i think you know it's you have to be mindful talking about genders and their own specific challenges because everybody of every gender has sure. had different conditioning and different parents That's and different true. ways that they've accessed that but there are certain patterns that that exist and i think what you describe as one pattern for men that's been hard, the suppression of emotion. Mm. You know, suck it up. Yeah, yeah, Fucking yeah. suck cowboy up. Rub yeah. some dirt on it. Let's <laughs> fucking go. You know, like that aspect of stuffing your feelings. Mm-hmm. It is universal, but men sure. have had like a, a good portion of that. One thing that I've noticed on the other side is men have been given the liberty and the freedom to overtly compete right like that's something that men are like celebrated for is overt competition right so we're all competitive it's the nature of the separate self to know itself in comparison to others and so the drive of the separate self is going to be compete yeah try and put yourself in a in a list of who's better and who's worse so me with all my homies like competition is right there on the table we are (laughs) shit talking each other most of the conversations we have are competitive shit talking about some trivial thing that we're playing doesn't matter what it is and so that aspect has been allowed to healthily express and so there's less likely for some shadow element of competition to create that passive aggressive kind of expression that can come between men in that circle because the competition is overt if you Mm -hmm. want to talk shit to them you just say it right to their face and you fucking laugh even when it's a touchy touchy spot you're like oh touchy (laughs) spot touchy spot spot? Uh yeah Yeah. great (laughs) and i think i think you know giving women the same permission too which is to like no it's okay like be competitive but how about bring it overtly like bring it to the bring it to the surface yeah you know like allow yourself to have that and so that way it doesn't guide this kind of competitive comparison on either side and again this applies to both sexes yeah plus full stop you know and like i think we're we're in a very interesting time in humanity as we're transit like, and things are transitioning very quickly mm-hmm. you know like if you we like, like like let's be straight here if we rewind a hundred years ago things were very like in 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 much clear boxes yeah with sh- they might be really shitty boxes but they were in boxes right so i then i think important for me to highlight like if i'm whenever i think of anything of like men or women or whatever gender you you would like to ascribe to um 
I think it's moving out of these paradigms that we've built yep. that had those boxes yep. that that we identified a certain way. Yeah. Um, and we're moving into a place where actually people get to choose what they what feels most alive for them mm -hmm. and what most resonant which is i think incredibly important if we're moving towards this more beautiful world if you feel somewhere if you feel if it if it feels authentic and true for you it's real for you you know like it's not I, who am i to say that you want what i think you should do is the right thing right if you're not harming anybody else if you're not harming anyone else you should, I think you should kind of do what you do. You do it with loving Amen. kindness, you know? Amen. It's, wouldn't that be just in a beautiful world? And that's where we're headed. You know what I mean? That's we have a great dance party, baby. That's where we're headed. <laughs> David, I could talk to you for hours and hours, and we do all the time. We yeah. got a house full of fucking wizards and, and priestesses and magical beings and people. So we're going to get back to that now. But anything so else you want to share about any projects you're working on, anything you're excited about, anything you want to point people to? You know, I'm excited about all the stuff with Gone Gone Beyond, with the music we're doing. I'm excited about the human experience stuff. I'm excited about, I'm working on this project, Speaking with Trees, which is my sculpture exhibition. Mm -hmm. We planted 115,000 trees with the sales of three sculptures. I mean, I'm feeling just, I feel really excited in general. Mm. Um, always happy to talk. We could do it for forever, yeah, literally. We'll and um, I would say if I wanted to leave people with something um, is that um, I want to maybe just talk for a moment just about creative courage. Mm. Um, I feel like creative courage is this thing, idea for me is that people are gonna shit on your dreams. And it, and, and it requires an enormous amount of courage to move forward from your heart, the thing that wants to give it all away, battling the mind who's trying to control everything. It takes a lot of courage to show up authentically. Um, and I guess I, you know, my hope is that my art and music gives you a little bit of that courage, you know, to dig deeper, to ask those questions of why do I do the things that I do? Why have I made the choices that I've made? You know, how do I define success? You know, the big, the big questions. And I'm hoping that like the music and the art can just be a companion on your journey. That's what I hope. That's my intention that I put into it is that, you know, you listen to it and you feel something. Mm. I don't really care what you feel personally. I just mm. want you to feel deeply and vulnerably and authentically. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with the music um, and my art, um, please check it out. And I hope, I hope it really inspires you. That's my hope. And so, so it is. So it yes. is. Love you, brother. Love you too, brother. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for tuning into the show, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with David Block. Make sure you check out his music, The Human Experience, Gone, Gone, Beyond. And also, if you're inspired or interested in what we're doing with Fit for Service or Arcadia, head to fitforservice.com. We'll have our next donation-based event coming up in Sedona in October. Much love, everybody. Bye-bye.